On this episode, we speak with our friend and Mandalorian Merc expert, Ned Jacobs. You must unlearn what you have learned. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. In between it all, balance. Welcome to Voice of the Wills. This is where the fun begins. You are right back in the mess. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. All this, as the Force wills it. Just when you think you understand the Force, you find out how little you actually know. I may fail, you may fail, but there is no try. We would be honored if you would join us. Alright everybody, welcome back once again to Voice of the Wills. I'm Matt Lucio. And I'm here with uh, my friends. Elena is off tonight, but I have Albert Torres. Albert, how we doing, bud? Hello there. Hello there. Have you done that every single time? I think I did. Wasn't there a Qui-Gon at one point? (laughs) Yes, there is. I don't remember (laughs) how I did it. (laughs) And there you hear Rodney Clark. Rodney, how you doing, bud? Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning. What's happening? Good morning. Whatever. Well, depends. Know, who, know, who knows when we're recording this? Or, or well, yeah, or we're listening. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, the effort, I just say. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest today. It is um, our favorite Mando. Um, at least our favorite Mando who's been on the show, because I believe he's the first Mando we've had on the show. And that is uh, Ned Jacobs. Ned, how are we doing, bud? How's it going, everybody? Um. Good to uh, good to see you. I think I think we first met. I believe um, you were doing. I think it was Robertwood Johnson. Is that was that the hospital you do your events at? Yeah, yeah, that's the one that I host yearly. Yeah, so he he hosts an event there where um, where we help them with what was it a fundraiser or just not just for kids who uh, needed something, right? Uh no, it's for it's usually for their holiday party for some of the uh kids that are in the hospital and those that have already been released and are home, either recovering or in remission and stuff like that. So we do a full holiday party every year. Yeah. I try to bring more and more from the different groups. Yeah, there were quite a few people. I want to say there was maybe sixty of us there from the various groups, which is a huge um gathering in New Jersey of uh, people and it's, and it's a, it's a good event that it's also a nice feel good event. And, uh, and one where you just, uh, you see everybody having a good time and uh, it's got to be a little bit of uh, work to put it together, but it, it looks like it's always, you know, a nice little event. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I met uh, Ned and uh, I haven't seen you in a, co- in a couple of years, but um, we figured we'd have you on the show to discuss um, all things related to Mandos, um, because we've discussed a little bit of uh, the show and Mandalorians on uh, on the show, but uh, but to have an actual Mando on the show, um, you know that's uh, that's exciting for us. So why don't you uh, why don't you start by telling us kind of what it is you do with the Mandos and a little bit about the Mandalorian Mercs. Um, which is one of the other costuming groups. So go ahead, bud. Uh, sure thing. Uh, well, I'm the Alarod, which is the local leader for the New Jersey chapter of the Mandalorian Mercs. We are the Rocker Don clan. Uh, the Mandalorian Mercs is an international uh, charity organization. We're a 501c, uh, 501c4 charity organization. Um, we're made up uh, similar to the 501st and the Rebel Legion of 100% volunteers, and, uh, you know, we just love bringing the love of Star Wars and Mandos to the uh, community and to the fans abroad. You know, it's what we do. We were we were Mandos before Mandos were popular. <laughs> and, then, and now one of the cool things about the Mandos is unlike the 501st of the Rebel Legion, and you guys do have a few characters that are, you know, your standard Mandalorian characters, but um, a good deal is uh, your own custom Mandalorian uh, costume. Because that's yeah. ten, what I tend to see, uh, which is a little different. Um, so, so what's the process about deciding what you want to do if you do decide to join the Mercs? 
Uh, well, it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we have uh, CRLs, which are uh, custom reference libraries, uh, certain key points that you have to hit uh, as far as accuracy in uh, materials. Um, you have to be basically uh, able to look like you just stepped off a film set. Um, no cardboard, no EVA, stuff like that. Um, but you have a lot of creative freedom um, in your color scheme, your paint scheme, your design. Uh, different accessories you can add to it, um, which is why I feel that uh, Filoni and Favreau and, and, you know, Lucasfilms and Disney, they gravitated towards the Mandalorian culture because it's so diverse. Um, it's not just Django and, you know, Boba, you know, it's, it's a culture, you know, um, and they see this at all the events, you know, based off of our members all around the world, you know, so I think, you know, for someone who has uh, the creative spirit and uh, the the want to make something that's their own that you know you can make with your own two hands. Like I like to tell people, I created my costume literally from a sheet of plastic. You know, uh, hand tooled, hand formed, hand shaped, bled all over it, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> so uh, it's it's an evolution, you know, and it, it's it's fun and to get together to stand, you know, side by side with our brothers and sisters in the other groups, you know, Five Hundred First Rebel Legion, you know, Saber Guild, you know, Dark Empire, all of those, you know, Droid Builders. It's it's you feel like a part of of the Star Wars universe, you know. So that's that's something that I, I tell everybody if you want to get into Star Wars and Star Wars costuming, you know, and you don't really have um, a lot of money to um, go the uh, the canon route, because being a canon character in any of the groups, even the Mandos, you know, is it's pretty pricey. <laughs> you know, uh, I say go with a custom Mandalorian, you know, as long as you follow the rules and guidelines, you know, it's not hard. You know, I've done it. I've been in I've been doing it for seven years. You know, and as a matter of fact, currently I am on the seventh revision of my custom kit, uh, and it's version seven that will be seen once this whole COVID ban is lifted, and it's going to be a lot more impressive, so to speak, than it currently is, <laughs> from what I'm being told. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, one of the one of the uh, cool things that that I like about the Mercs is, is that, um, you know, you guys are deep into, uh, weathering of your, uh, your armor because, uh, you know, yeah, we're getting into, to doing that stuff. Actually, um, you have some videos, I think on YouTube about how to, how to make Mando, how to make and paint Mando armor. Um, and, uh, and there's some really cool techniques that you have in there that I've used not on Mando armor, but on other things. Um, but how did you learn those techniques? Oh, man, that's uh, trial and error, man. Searching the Internet, talking with other builders, man. Like, you know, I've always been artistic and, and crafty my entire life, my youth and everything else. It's just, you know, you learn different techniques from different things. You know, the prop and costume designers, um, theater, you know, people in theater. Uh, and I have, you know, a background and I'm a filmmaker as well. So, you know, learning different things that prop houses do and how they weather and stuff like that. And other YouTubers, you know, um, and then other Mandalorians seeing how their kits, you know, how they got weathering on their kit and then looking at real world examples of how to how something would weather if it was metal, if it was leather, you know, how to how to, you know, how to get things to look more realistic when you look at it. Um, one of the things that, as you said, you know, I have with the videos, a lot of people like is that the weathering techniques, it looks like actual metal. And right. my armor is 100% Sintra. There's no metal on my armor at all. <laughs> you know, and people are hard-pressed to believe that until they get up really close and, like, start tapping on my armor. And they're like, this isn't metal. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> you want to be like, you want to be, you know how much that would weigh if it was hanging on my shoulders and it was all metal? <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. We have several members in the Mercs who wear full 22-gauge metal kits. No way. Um, Oh yeah, Mandalore the Uniter, which is the uh, he's the head of the whole Mandalorian Mercs. His kit wow. is one hundred percent metal. He's actually a uh, blacksmith and an armorsmith. Um, we have another kid, a uh, guy named Dresden. His kit is one hundred. I mean, 
I think the only thing that's not metal on his kit are the soles of his boots. Um, he has he has a custom winch in his workshop just to lift off his upper torso armor i mean he is amazing if if you've seen me i look like a walking tank he looks like several walking tanks put together (laughs) i have (laughs) to look this up impressive his name is dresden d-r-e-s-d-e-n he's like tony stark he comes home and like the machines all help him oh yeah undress oh yeah Wow. Yeah. Oh man, it's 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 amazing, you know. Um but yeah, weathering is is a big part of uh our culture, you know. Uh there's no such thing. Well, there are shiny mandos, but uh you, you even seen in the new Mandalorian the kids can take a beating, you know. <laughs> you don't want to look like you just came out the dry dock, you know. Mm. Got all buffed up. Stare at him yeah. like beat that man up. <laughs> Make him look dirty. Yeah. I tell people my Mando is a battlefield general, so it's like I don't dodge blaster bolts. I walk towards them. <laughs> There's some that may call them crazy. So just to, yeah. um, just to kind of maybe touch on something that maybe people may not realize is there's different armor classes. So, you, yes. Ned, you're a heavy Mando, correct? Yes, correct. I'm a heavy heavy weapons Mandalorian. Um, you have uh, you have light, medium, heavy, and then we also have what's called brigades, which are uh, I hate to use the word elite, but it's an elite classification within the Mercs. As far as you go through the basic application process, and then you pick a profession, a specialization. Which I have heavy weapons. Um, I'm also currently going the crazy route and I'm adding two more uh, brigades to my current character's kit which is going to be demolitions and hazardous environment operations so I'm going to have a triple threat style Mandalorian but Hazmat heavy. with that comes <laughs> with that comes a heavy cost because uh, the the application process to get into the mercs is pretty pretty stringent um, but to get into the brigades, it's five times harder to get into the brigades than it is to become a basic Mandalorian in the Mandalorian Mercs costume. So <laughs> it's uh, it's fun though because that's where you start to branch out into all the different you know accessories. You know we have medics, pilots, you know all the different general classifications of an army. You know mm. basically. Hmm. Nice. Talk about talk about what the troop experience is like for for the Mandos because it's it's similar in that you're a Star Wars character to to the other groups, but um, because I mean all the times I've ever seen that most people have the custom because if you're going to do a Boba Fett, you can be in the Mercs, but you're often also in the Five Hundred First or or whatever. So what talk about the uh, the experience of of trooping with the Mercs? Um, trooping experience, man. In the past seven years, I have to say. It's been a mixed bag. Um, we've had, even before The Mandalorian, we've had so many people at different cons that acknowledged who and what we were that we never would have thought knew what a Mandalorian was. <laughs> you know, this is before Rebels, before Clone Wars, and this is basically based off of the books, you know, from Karen Travis, the, uh, the 501st books, um, Hard Contact and all of that. Um, so it's, it's been that, but then you have the other side of the coin where, you know, you get a call the power ranger or, you know, (laughs) or, Hey, look, there's Boba Fett. I'm like, no, I'm not green and and yellow. I'm not Boba Fett. (laughs) How many people, how many people have called me Boba Fett when I'm wearing my clone? (laughs) Oh God. I've actually been called a stormtrooper before. That's 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 insane. I but, would have um, preferred but... being called a stormtrooper over Boba Fett when I'm wearing <laughs> my clone, because <laughs> I'm more reminiscent of that. I mean, yes, I got the T visor, but come on. Yeah, at least they're in Star Wars, man. You know. Yeah. But think about it as 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 a clone, though you are a Mandalorian. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're if you're one of the Republic commandos, you're more so than any of the other clones. You know. Um. But uh, but yeah, man, it's 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 a great experience. I mean, I love it. Um, I love being in character. Rodney could attest to that. You know, oh, yeah. actually, I've <laughs> I've got one cool thing to say. I've got to give Rodney a lot of credit. 
because Rodney has been calling us Mando and calling me Mando long before Grief Carter made it popular on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very I much. love walking into a, a, a dressing room and hearing Rodney's deep voice go, Mando. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you've hit the pinnacle when you get there, you know. <laughs> So, so you said you've been doing it for seven years, which is in the, you know, we, we had some Clone Wars. We had, you know, we basically had Boba Fett and Jango Fett, although initially, right, we, did, we didn't have any Mandalorians. We just knew about Mandalorian armor because Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian. Uh, Jango Fett is not a Mandalorian. They just have the Mandalorian armor. Um, and we didn't really, I guess, I guess there were uh, non-canon books, but in terms of canon, we didn't learn too much about them until... Uh, until the Clone Wars, where um, it was very different. But even when we first got introduced, it was uh, sort of post uh, a lot of the the war that we hear about. And we haven't seen um, that much of that. Um, but how did how did stuff like the Clone Wars and that uh, sort of lore come into it? Um, sort of uh, affect the group and how the group was seeing Mandalorians. Did it did it sort of vibe up or was it different what how what was that kind of like uh, i would say um it's been a steady increase uh in popularity and in 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 membership um as far as from the movies um you know Django and boba have always been just the two face characters that everyone's known you know um like you said um Django not being a mandalorian technically that's legends would kind of consider him a mandalorian because he was raised by a mandalorian um as a war orphan typically basically the same way filoni is adopting that philosophy into the new uh the new canon of the show you know um where it's more of a culture and more of a creed than it is a race um but yeah i mean it's 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 hard to say. I mean, we I've always felt welcome. I've always felt uh, I've always been Mandalorian. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I could put it. I I I came into this world a Mandalorian. I think I'm gonna go out a Mandalorian. Um, it wasn't my first choice though, to be honest. Um, I had come into the Star Wars community looking to uh, to do charity work. I've heard I had heard of the Five Hundred First and. Um, at New York Comic Con in 2011 or 2012, I think it was 2011, um, I was looking for the 501st and I couldn't find them and I was actually cosplaying as an ODST Spartan from Halo uh, hey. hybrid. And uh, the the mercs, they saw me and they dragged me over to their table and they were like, dude, if you can make this, you can make <laughs> a Mandalorian. And I was like, really <laughs> you know and i hadn't heard of really the intricacies of the club other than seeing some things on the dented helmet and stuff like that and uh so you know they started talking to me and i was like wait i can make my own mandalorian <laughs> <laughs> i was like you mean any way i want it to look i can make it look and they were like yeah the the sky's the limit as long as you follow these simple rules right here and i was like hmm I was like, so what's the cost involved in this? <laughs> and you know, and I was weighing my odds because originally I wanted to be a sand trooper. So <laughs> I was like, uh, when I saw that, I was like, wow, okay, this is for me, and I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> you know, nice. And now, now the in uh, the canon, the costumes have um, I don't say changed because the the other ones are still kind of in there, but they're they keep adding to the styles different styles of, of Mandalorian armor um, and the different helmets uh, and and all of that stuff. Um, and I keep thinking that it might get a little tricky to, like, you know, to get in there um, when you could almost do anything. Although I don't, I think the rules are to look more like the classic Mandos. Um, if I'm, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's what we consider modern, uh, modern era. We have modern era. We have legacy. We have um, uh, we have modern legacy. We have uh, now post imperial, which is what we're considering. Anything from the TV show would be considered post imperial. 
Um, we have, uh, oh man, <laughs> I remember. There's, uh, wow. Um, yeah, no, I'll let it out. So you, your Mando <laughs> buddies don't don't rib you for not being able to think about it on the on the fly. Don't worry about it. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, but um, there's um, oh man, why can't I think of it right now? <laughs> it's it's killing me. Um, killing me small. But yeah, there's all those. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all good. it's all good. There's been there's plenty. There's 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 tons of different ones. Yeah. Um, now, now, Rodney, you don't have a Mando, do you? No, that's the one thing. I'm just going to give a little backstory. Ned was one of the first people that I met and really, like, kind of, you know, really got close to within the uh, LFL groups. And from day one, he's like, yeah, you need to be a Mando. We can get you a Mando. Mando this, Mando that. And I said, Ned, uh, I don't think they make a helmet big enough for my head. And, <laughs> and, and he found one. And I said, okay, Ned, just give me a little time. And it's the only costume. That I haven't, oh, I should say, only custom group that I haven't tried for yet, and I kind of enjoyed builders because that's a whole another situation. But soon enough, right. soon enough, he'll he'll get Droid his builders dream. Is, uh, Droid builders is like, yeah, I got that car money. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's well, almost every country. So, Rodney, if you were to, uh, so if you're going to do your build, what are, what type of Mando are you looking to do? Oh, I would have to go heavy because I like uh, weaponry, I like parts, uh, uh, I like a whole lot of stuff. And my body type, obviously, I'm not a light Mando by any <laughs> means of the word. So, uh, you know, also looking at Ned's um, weaponry, he's uh, most people um, don't really realize it, but they use modified Nerf guns a lot. And the work and the time and the craftsmanship that gets put into these things, they're, they're works of art. And, you know, like we said earlier, they do look like metal, but they're plastic. You know, you, right. you go to the store and you buy a Nerf gun and then you put time, energy, money, crafting, spray paint, some Bondo, a couple of things under the kitchen sink. And you have this otherworldly looking weapon. And with my size and, you know, what what I would look normally like, uh, you know, on the battlefield, I need a big gun. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to you know, go heavy or go home. You know, that's that's kind of how I would do it. So it'll be totally, uh, to totally a heavy Mando. And I think that's the the bucket you said that that would fit my big head was the heavy Mando. Is that what they they, they call it, Ned? The big one? Uh, no, that's the uh, I believe it's the Enforcer. Um, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll work too. And to get back to get back to the to get back to the to the actual ones, it's uh, early Crusader, Crusader, Neo Crusader, and Modern. And then there's okay. different classifications in all of those. Wow. That's, that's yeah. a lot. That's okay. See, I remember the, the Mandos coming up in, uh, what is it, um, Knights of the Old Republic, and they look nothing like uh, Mandos that we think about Mandos looking like. Could you do, would you, would you be allowed to do one of those and get in? Yes, or is it, yes okay. that's considered, that's considered Neo-Crusader. Okay. Knights of the Old Republic oh. Mandos are Neo-Crusader Mandos. Okay, yeah. that's pretty cool. With that's us, cool. it's like it's kind of similar. Uh, if you want to do something like that, it's kind of similar to the, I believe, the Five Force and Rebel Legion have it also, where there has to be four references, uh, four visual visual references of the style, and okay. then you can you can actually come forth with it. Um, so with the game, if it's in the game, you can technically do it. Okay, nice, nice. Hey, Albert, if you were to do one, what would you do? Oh, um, when I look up references, because I have actually, you know, looked into it to uh, get in, um, I've only seen, like, the standard, uh, uh, like, what you see in the animations and such, or, like Boba Fett, right? I only see those type of armors when I'm looking stuff up for research purposes. Uh, if I were to do something, though, uh, ever since The Mandalorian did come out, that heavy one looks pretty freaking cool. Um, that's considered the heavy infantry, if you'd infantry. like to look that one up. Heavy infantry. Uh, but the thing is, uh, I'm one of those people that like to tack on as many accessories as possible onto something, mm -hmm. which is why my first costume into the 501st Legion was something that had some accessories to it, right? Uh, but in terms of that, like a, a certain also color scheme that I would have gone with would be something akin to the uh, Clan of Isla. Paint scheme, the the black and white one with the gray. Oh, that looks yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, when I so 
I've looked into to the Mandos too, and uh, I, maybe I do something custom. But I also really like what do they call them? The Imperial Super Commandos are from Rebels, the one that Sabine's, uh. Sabine's brother is. Like just a totally different look and style, although it does look Mando. The only thing is like trying to take something animated that has soft parts and trying to like translate that, you know, translate the soft parts because those, if it's one of the ones from like the animation, those have to be um, pretty accurate. Is that right, Ned? Right. Well, we actually have CRLs for those as well. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So if you go on to the Mercs uh, website, which is MandalorianMercs.com. And dot org, you can get it from either um, either or. Um, I believe dot org is the uh, main one. And go to the uh, get involved section, and then go to costume requirements, and you'll see every different type of Mandalorian you see and what it would require. Yeah, going. it's it's now worth just going to that site. Even if you're not in a Mando, it's cool going to that site, seeing it. It's uh, similar to the other costuming groups, but there's differences to it. Um, and, uh, but to just to see, and then to see all the different costumes, um, there's, you know, yeah. what people, you know, when you add imagination in there, what people come up with is just really, really, really cool. I've um, been seeing armor kits daily that I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm about to hang up my kit because this kit just makes me look like an amateur. <laughs> 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 you know, it's the, the amount of artistic, uh, willpower that these new members are putting into their into their kits is just amazing amazing and yeah. it's like it, that's why i'm on revision seven right now because i kind of got a little i was like oh man i need to step my game up <laughs> 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 so yeah so I, i've actually just started learning leather working and i'm doing all leather harnesses and and holsters on my own uh tooling and, and wet forming and all of that stuff that's another good thing about being a part of, of of the Mandos is you learn skills in making your kit that transcend into so many other aspects of, of cosplay and, and building in general. You know, different working with different tools and different materials. Again, like you said, with the weathering, the painting, you know, different paint schemes, different paint techniques. You know, it's stuff that I never knew. <laughs> And now people yeah. come to me for advice, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, do this." <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I like how you said that it, that it's that it's trial and error because when I first joined, I talked to a few people. Uh, not the five of first. I talked to a few people, but at the beginning, you're you know you're trying to figure stuff out on your own uh, and figure all that stuff out. And I I you know even now that I'm working on other projects. Um, Often there are uh, good happy accidents that you discover um, that kind of work out um, that that are uh, that you just translate um, and and see or you have an idea and it doesn't work. Um, you know, depending upon the piece of material you're working on, could be a costly error or not, um, which is why you tend to not use uh, the. Uh, the techniques that you haven't tested or seen somebody else do on something expensive. Um, that's, that's where some of the nerves come in, but, um, but yeah, it's certainly a process to get it, get into, get into that. Now, how, now, so you mentioned that you do filmmaking. Um, what specifically in filmmaking do you do? Oh, I'm a director of photography. I'm a DP. That's, that's, it's, uh, not really a hobby. It's more so as I actually do do paid gigs, but that's not my full time job. But I've been doing it since 2013. So, and do you, and do, you do hobby uh, work on that as well, or is it mostly paid gigs? I'm though? I'm actually writing uh, a Mandalorian short film, uh, so <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's a fun part of this hobby is that you can kind of uh, explore that. And because it comes from film, I mean, you can talk a little bit about how Star Wars impacted you um, specifically in into filmmaking. But it, the, the, because of the movie, a lot of the people that are involved in these just have, you know, a draw towards that part of the experience as well. Yeah, that's that's it's it's definitely something. I mean, I, I honestly can say, though, growing up, I never thought I would be a filmmaker <laughs> ever. 
Um, I actually, it was a happy accident that I got into filmmaking. Um, I had gotten into a love of photography and the camera that I bought actually could shoot video at the same, at the time. And a friend of mine asked me, Oh, would you be willing to shoot my brother's music video? And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) And, uh, so, uh, I did it and I was like, you know what? I really like this. I got into, you know, lighting and then I started studying more and, and, and learning more and diving into books and, and tutorials and talking with other, you know, people in the industry and, and just leeching knowledge from them like crazy. And, uh, as I did that, I just got, you know, better and better and better. And, you know, and then also working on my own costumes, I started looking at different ways, you know, how would I like this or, or how would this look good on screen or this won't, this won't show up good. This won't read good on camera, you know, stuff like that. And I, I do put a lot of that uh, thought process into into how I make my kits. But Star Wars itself didn't make me want to be a filmmaker. I was in awe, uh, you know, yeah. as a as, as a as a teen and a, a young teen when uh when I started seeing some of these things. And uh, but uh, seeing a lot of the behind the scenes because I do a lot of behind the scenes searches. Uh, right. as a filmmaker and seeing a lot of the the techniques and a lot of the the magic that they put into these films just leaves me speechless like and you know seeing this the technology they're using on the Mandalorian now it's like wow like you you would never have known they were on in they were in a sound stage like Right. Yeah, if you if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the making of the Mandalorian that's on Disney yeah. Plus as well, it's almost as good yeah. as the show itself. Um, yeah, it, the the technology that they invented, um, you know, well, what to, to tell people what what it is because it's pretty. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. But yeah, um, it, it's amazing. Uh, they're, they're using projection screens to project the world almost three hundred and sixty degrees around the actor. So even the actors have almost a tactile feel of the environment of the world that they're in for based on the scenes. And um, they're getting to get a, the, the pre-visualization side is now going simultaneous with the filming. It's like post-production is happening during the filming. It's like everything is, is making it so that they can produce higher quality uh imag- unimaginable worlds with lower budgets even though these things are kind of pricey but you know the technology that they're putting into this is just like insane um, right, and they're using the game engine stuff so that they can yeah. create those worlds and 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 make it seamless in there i mean it's uh it's it, it's amazing i mean it's really like one of those things where you just if you watch that and you see the technology that they're that they're able to use it almost, especially for shows like Star Wars, um, it allows pretty much them to do anything they want to do. Um, you know, and, and on on a budget that that you know that I think that I always remember that that was the reason why there wasn't TV shows before more recently because the cost was just the cost to put out something that was worthy of being called Star Wars. Um, you know, was was not there. Um, you know, uh, except for maybe the holiday special, right? <laughs> yeah, because before, before when they did, talk about <laughs> oh my god, the holiday special. Before when they would do a film, you know, they would have to build these elaborate set pieces, um, and it would take thousands of carpenters, hundreds of carpenters, you know, all this time and all this material to build, let's say, Maz Kanata's castle, you know, um, and now it's they do it right there in CG and you feel like these actors are lit and, and in that environment as they're there. And they also feel it. So it brings, it brings a better performance out of the actors um, because they're, they get to interact with the environment. They're not just on a green screen anymore before you had to have a lot of, you know, improv, you had to hit a specific mark, you know, you still have to do these things. But now, um, I think um, Carl Weathers even said it, you know, when they were riding uh, in the little lava skiff, skiff in the, uh, the lava tunnel, 
that when it came to a stop, he felt like, you know, he felt like he was about to fly off the thing. Like, you know, he felt like he was on a real lava skiff, you know. So it's 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 bringing a whole new level of, like you said, what they can do. I mean, um, the sky's the limit, man. Like, I, I see nothing more than we're going to get Star Wars and other things for years and years to come. Like, a lot of our... Uh, our fanboyish nature nature is uh is really going to come to fruition because we're going to start to get to see things that we wished they would make that yeah. you knew in your mind financially they weren't going to do it <laughs> you know cuz they would go they would go broke these studios would have gone broke before trying to pull these things off but now well yeah and as, a, and as a dp one of the cool things was to see um the fact that what the game engine uh stuff allows them to do is allows them to you know not have planned it out as much and to get in there and find the shot rather than having the shot done you know beforehand um they can get in there they can see they can change things they can move it around because of yeah. the whole game engine thing yeah, James Cameron actually uh, did something similar to that. Uh, actually, he paved the way for it uh, when he did the first Avatar. Um, his uh, his motion controlled camera um, was basically uh, a little iPad type screen with uh, with tracking markers on it that looked like Wii joysticks. That yeah. as he turned as he turned the monitor, the camera turned, but you can see the CG world in the camera in in the uh in the monitor with the actor right there and i believe they were using the unreal engine um which you got to thank the guys who who guys and gals who put that together because that's just a gift that keeps on giving that people don't even realize you know <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what actually made all of this possible which is the uh that technology and um nice. yeah so it's like as they move as they move their camera Everything, the whole virtual world moves with them. So. Yeah, and be able to see it. It's it's really cool. Like I said, that that documentary is well worth it. Um, Fiber First makes an appearance in the documentary, which is really cool yep. to yep. see. Um, but uh, but yeah, check that out. Um, but um, before we get to the uh, next part, why don't we take a quick break with our podcast network? Hey everybody, I'm Steve. I'm Joe. I'm Mike. I'm Seb. And we're dinner and a podcast, and you're listening to the International House of Podcast Network. All right, well, uh, now I think it's a good time for us to get into the uh, Mandalorian show itself. Um, I mean, we could talk about all the shows and all the Mandalorian orb, uh, lore, but because that show is, you know, um, what's really hot in Star Wars right now, um, I think it'd be fun to, to talk a little bit. And since we have our resident um, expert on Mandos, at least amongst the group that we have talking here, um, I thought it'd be cool to to talk about it. So... Um, how, let me ask you this one, Ned. How has the show itself sort of altered? Because I do notice this altered sort of the lore of the of the Mandalorian. Um, as far as altering the lore, I think, in my opinion, it's making it a lot better. Um, okay. That whole the mystery and the whole helmet thing—you know, not taking a helmet off—it's something that was basically an unwritten rule within our group and a kind of like a joke also within our group that Filoni, you know, cause he hangs out with us sometimes that, well, all the time at our dinners when we do uh, celebrations and stuff like that. Um, and he loves hearing different stories that we have from different troops and stuff. And I guess he really was taking notes <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of stuff that he uh, put in there under, under the radar that a lot of us were like, Oh my God, he's talking about us. <laughs> but uh, but um, I'm really anxious to see where where they're going with the lore because um, we've only we've we we're in uncharted waters here as far as Mandalorians because other than Django and Boba, there's nothing really canon wise in any of the films that would uh, that would uh, that would state state anything otherwise. So you know. They have carte blanche to do whatever they want, you know. They're they're Lucasfilm and Disney, so you know. But I do think that they're going to make it so that we do still have uh, longevity and we still do have purpose um, as a costuming community. Uh, 
that specializes in Mandalorians. I mean, I just think it's going to make it better. I mean, there are a couple of issues with, you know, people who are new coming in new and fresh that will see the show and not know that there were Mandalorians in the public eye before this, you know? And they're going to be like, oh, you guys are trying to be like the TV show, but you're not really because you don't look like them and stuff like that or, you know, stuff like that. But I'm really, really interested in in seeing, you know, if they go. Well, I know they're definitely going to go back to the purge and the siege of Mandalore and stuff. I can't wait for that. Yeah, me neither. Um, uh, I really want to see. I would love to see how how Din Djarin you know, how his time with the Death Watch was. Because we get to see the Death Death Watch now. We we saw them right there in front of our eyes, you know, live right there on TV, you know. Um so uh and that was definitely Death Watch that, that rescued him that uh so um Yeah and the whole helmet I mean the whole thing you brought up the helmet thing. The helmet thing um confused a lot of people who, you know, are fans of Clone Wars and Rebels and everything because that was that was never really a thing, so there need there needs to be re- and a reason for it. And since Filoni's involved, uh, you know that that it's not just a random thing that they threw in there. That there's got to be um, something to that that whole helmet thing. I can't um, wait to find out the way I the way I look at it, and the way I tell people who ask me about the whole helmet thing is, uh, Din Djarin is part of a covert. Now, we have seen in what we call canon, uh, Rebels, we've seen it in, uh, in uh, the Clone Wars, we've seen Mandalorians without their helmet on. Um, now, for, for Din Djarin to say they don't remove their helmet, if he removes his helmet, he's no longer Mandalorian, this is something that happened in their, in their interpretation of the lore um, and what they're writing that happened after the Purge. You know, so this is something that we haven't even so I also look at it as they're a covert that was in hiding. Um, that's why only one of them could go up at a time. You never knew their numbers, you know, they, you know, and which really, you know, Grief Carter and his bounty hunters, they found out the hard way that there's <laughs> more than one man. <laughs> you know, it was a very, uh, uh, it cost them a lot, you know. But um, as far as that is, if they do take off their helmet, that's not saying that they don't take them off. They've got to eat, you know. Right. And yeah, we see it with the ones in one scene. Yeah, and if I'm a Mando and I take off my helmet in private, put on civilian clothes, now I can walk amongst the civilians. You don't know I'm a Mandalorian mm. until it's time that I have to be a Mandalorian. That's a great way of so um, I I, I feel that that yeah. yeah I feel that that's a great thing that they put into that. And also, it gives them a strong, a strong culture because if let's, we don't know what happened during the purge. We don't know how they tried to purge them. You know, maybe it was, you know, they tried to purge them because they knew what they looked like. You know, so now in their culture, you know, as a Mandalorian, you don't take off your helmet. Nobody knows what you look like. They can't try to wipe you out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. There's, there's, there's got to be reason and rhyme to it, and I'm totally, you know, I'm totally on on Filoni and Favreau's side for it because, you know, it's there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to adapt to, um, and myself, you know, as the leader of the New Jersey chapter, Rodney knows this. Um, for my guys and gals, I've always taught them in the public eye we don't take off our helmet, and this was way before the show. Yeah, it's always like been a true I, rule. Used to, I. Yeah, I used to get ridiculed for it because I would literally come down on my guys. It's like, in the public eye, we do not take off our helmets. We keep that mystery. We do not break it. Unless you have a medical condition, that helmet stays on your head until you go in the back into into the changing room or you're away from the public eye. You know, and when we saw that, you know, on screen, my wife turned and looked at me and she was like, was he listening to you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know, but it makes sense to me, <laughs> you know. So, so, so basically, yeah. you're saying you're going to make a cameo in in this upcoming season. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I wish. Do you know I got so many phone calls 
when you saw the heavy heavy infantry mando in that, <laughs> in that one episode i got so many phone calls that were like oh my god you were in the show oh my god they changed your color to blue i was like that wasn't me <laughs> i was like that wasn't me i was like they didn't base it off of me i wish they did because that dude looks cool as hell <laughs> <You know? laughs> i was like but you know hey you never know you know he's got Filoni and them, they have over, right now, thousands of custom Mandalorians in the Mandalorian Merc Costume Club that they could, if they wanted to, base any character off of, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't see myself ever in the show. I would love to be, but uh, or a likeness <laughs> of my character. That would be awesome. But, you know, but, hey, you know, it is what it is. I'm getting what we've always wanted because... Uh, there have always been an, uh, an a low brow type of joke between the the 501st and you know and the Mandos where I've had run-ins with a lot of 501st guys that were always like, well, you guys aren't canon, you guys weren't in any of the movies, you guys are just you know, you guys are just want to be bobas, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's now we have a whole TV show about us, <laughs> you know, so like, <laughs> and all sorts of different ones. Yep, now we're canon. <laughs> it's canon to be more than Boba and and Django. You know. Now, what did you think? No, what did you think of uh, the armor that they chose for uh, for the Mandalorian? What did you th- you know? Because it's it's certainly different than anything we've generally seen uh, on screen before. So, what did you what did you think of that armor they chose for him? I think it it was a good choice because what the way I look at it. Um, uh, I know one of you said that you hadn't seen all the different types of armor we have, but it's a cross between modern armor and legacy armor. Um, the one piece, uh, the one piece top, uh, it still has the diamond, still has our iron heart, which is the diamond, um, and it still has uh, two separated breastplates, but they're they're together, um, but they're delineated as kind of separate, you know, with the with the uh, with the look. Um, and again, it, it goes to show it's, it's different. And I guarantee you his armor is going to continue to upgrade. It's going to continue to change um, as the season goes along. He's going to either add to or, or change different things. You know, did, did, I forget, has, did the, did the jetpack survive the finale? I don't remember. I don't think, I, I don't think it did. I, think he, I don't think I it did either. But, it was just, yeah. Yeah. but it doesn't mean he won't get another one. You know, I mean. so I mean, to me, I'm anti jetpack okay. <laughs> in the Mandalorians, uh, only because every screen until Dinjarin, every screen used uh, Mando with a jetpack. Uh, Boba and Django, you know, uh, has met with a very uh, bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so. But I do like the fact that he used it and, you know, and the way he, you know, the way his little cape went off to the side and it didn't get caught up. I still think it would have burnt up in, you know, in flight. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm anti-jetpack. Uh, anti-flying <laughs> anti <Okay>. Phoenix. <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, which, well, that, you know, that's one of those, uh, those features that you th- – think of with the Mandalorian, but I did, I did like that they made that part of the, uh, sort of, uh, one of the things that he was kind of looking forward to and the, and the idea of, of upgrading the armor, um, and it being a work in progress, um, which kind of speaks to the way that you've treated your own armor. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, and it, it also in the culture, it's also, uh, Mando armor is, is passed down. Um, it's, it's treated as relics you know, artifacts. That's why he was so angered and heartbroken to see all that armor in the one episode in the covert just there. But it was it was going to good use because, you know, the armorer was repurposing it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um but uh it was it wasn't just the fact that they slaughtered those Mandalorians. It was the fact of seeing that armor just there. Like I think that really, really, really cut him deep. You well, know, I mean, um, I, maybe there's a listener that may not have seen this episode, but uh, I didn't. I don't. Is it confirmed that they killed everybody, or did they just leave the armor behind and go out in their? That's what. I, yeah, I thought they left the armor behind. If I remember well, correctly, I haven't seen that episode in a while. But 
I would say that those Mandos were killed because in in my mind, a Mandalorian would never leave his armor behind. Gotcha. Like I said, it's a relic. It it's a part of them. It's 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 ingrained into their soul. That armor is the Mandalorian. You know. Now let me um, let me ask you: Is it? I'm just gonna throw out a hypothetical. Is it hypoth- <laughs> Is it possible that they could have had another set of armor? I mean, it is possible, but as you see, Beskar is hard to come by. Very true. Very true. So if 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 that was true, Beskar, which is what he is now wearing, um, as you can tell, the the first armor he had wasn't full Beskar. It was, I think, Dorasteel, which is, I think, what Boba has. Boba's armor isn't true Beskar, um, and uh, so that again. That's a priceless, you know, part of you. You know what I mean? It's like me. Every you, Rodney, you've seen me uh, at at troops. If something breaks on my kit, I'm like heartbroken. <laughs> like yeah. you know, oh, yeah. it's like because it's literally a part of me. It's it's something that I built that I don't even think I could recreate the same way ever again. Like you know, so it's it's you know it. Most of their armor looks like now they come from a mold, certain molds that, that an armorer of a clan or a covert would have. Um, basically, like, um, you know, every, uh, every Indian tribe had their own uh, way of weaving, um, their own way of tooling, you know, stuff like that, that was indigenous to their, their tribe. I think that's the same way that, um, that they're looking at it this way in The Mandalorian, which the, would, uh... which would make one of the greatest memes that I've seen so far from the show is when uh, it's a shot of when he comes in with the new piece of, of, of uh, armor and it said like a true cosplayer he, he gets a, a, a fat check and he spends it on you know his cosplay that everybody can totally relate to that anybody in LFL group or non LFL group or anybody that ever cosplays knows that you know if you get some sort of income tax check or settlement check or you find 20 bucks in your pocket in the laundry or something you end up spending it on your costumes and it's it just totally made me laugh i can totally agree Sorry. with that, too. That, true. that that would make me laugh too it is true it is so true <laughs> yeah well then him getting paid in beskar was literally him getting paid in his armor yes right and you yeah. notice he didn't go out and spend it he put it into himself, and the what was left over went to the the what we call what we call uh, Verdika in the Mandalorian Mercs. They call um, the uh, the orphans. foundlings. The foundlings, yes. Now, can you clarify um, something so, for me, Ned? Is mm-hmm. using the Beskar as payment is that something that is new for the show, or was that already in the Mando quote unquote lore? No, that's new for the show because Beskar was only on Mandalore. And in 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 lore, in legends and you know, in books, um, that's why the Empire wanted Mandalore. They didn't want the planet for its warriors, they wanted it for the Beskar to use for their army. Ah, okay. Okay, so in order to get it, you had to siege the planet. <laughs> you know, which is it's like you know when I when people ask me what if you could aken a Mandalorian to anything in actual current history of real world what would it be and I always tell them the Mandalorians are the Spartans of the Star Wars universe mm. you know oh, um, okay. and it, it really reigns true uh, it's you know they we we thrive on war because that's all we've ever known. You know, but our core within the culture and within the group is always number one priority is always family. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, there there is the history in the Clone Wars of sort of Mandalore trying to be peaceful and then mm. the Death Watch rebelling against that because it's not in their nature. I wonder if that will... Um, find its way in some way into the show to sort of, you know, contrast those two because we didn't get, we didn't really get that too much of that intermediate. We had some of that intermediate story, but we didn't get I'm, all of that. I'm hoping, story. I'm hoping it did, but I do have a thought on that. 
when they wrote the whole peaceful aspect of the Mandalorians, I actually think that there was other forces at play. I really do think the Empire basically seeded its way to make Mandalore more passive so that it would ease their transition to take it over. And the Death Watch saw this being purists of the old ways of, you know, of, of protection and, and protecting their people and being a formidable force in the galaxy. Because the Mandalorians used to siege worlds. <laughs> like, they weren't really good guys. Like, you know, it's like... That, that was not that, that was... Well, that would have to be more like, what are you saying, like cities? Because that's pre-Empire, right? Right. That's, right. So that's, uh, you know, that they're they're trying to make... Uh, um, I mean, that's an interesting thought that it's being, that that's also being controlled. Um, and, you know, and then you have, I mean, obviously they're aware of them. Um, and Sidious is based on Maul's knowledge of, yes, of the Mandalorians. Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's where, that's what got my wheel spinning on that as well. Because, you know, when you think about it, it's like, what is one way without firing a shot? that you can take another army and it's basically to put your own person in control of like, you know, now was the dark saber always part of the lore or is that something that's been, you know, was created for clone wars and has been kind of, that was created for, that was created for rebels. If I remember correctly, um, that in the books that I've read, that's never been even mentioned. (laughs) Like, you know, that was something new. I mean, it kind of would make sense. Um, because uh, the the Lucasfilm story group, they the reason why they made a lot of the stuff quote unquote legends and no longer canon was so that they can pick and choose the stories that they want to tell, the way they want to tell them. So they right. could take the good and make it better, or they could take something that was slightly okay and make a whole branch off of it. So you know, you did have there were Jedi who were Mandalorian. Uh, okay. You know, so there, I believe there were seven of them. Um, oh. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a group. Um, but, you know, that was, that was before the actual Jedi Mandalorian Wars. That's another thing that I'm hoping we get to, they get to touch on. You know, the Jedi yeah. and the Mandalorians did have history <laughs> you know i so. guess i guess we could get some more of that history in the bad batch like that's a good place to maybe put some of that um that would be a great place to put it yeah and learn a little bit more about the, anybody who hasn't heard there's a new animated show that's going to be coming um i guess that's a spinoff of the clone wars with the bad batch group um, <laughs> um yeah it'd be pretty cool definitely excited for that one. Oh um, god all right. Oh, well, we're coming to the end of our time, but um, it's been a great time talking to um, our uh, buddy, uh, Ned Jacobs. Um, he's, uh, he's again, uh, our Mandalorian expert and, um, you know, the, the one, uh, aside from the droid builders, our one sort of hole in our group. And it was nice to have him come on, talk about his group get his thoughts on on the Mandalorian. Thank you very much, Ned, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Gus. Mm-hmm. It, it was very enjoyable. Um, do you have any social media that you like people to contact you on? Uh, you can uh, rockordonclan, New Jersey, at uh, gmail.com. And if you want to learn about the group, if you're in New Jersey, uh, uh, mandalorianmercs.org. And uh, if you want to learn anything about uh, the little tidbits I give on uh, Mandalorian armor making, you can find me at uh, Stone Fisted Props on YouTube. Yeah, those videos are, are, are very well put together and make some of those uh, techniques uh, simple to follow. So I definitely recommend checking those out. Like I said, I've, I watch those and they help me with other projects just because the techniques are applicable to many different projects, not just the Mandalorian armor. So they're well worth checking out. Um, all right. And uh, Albert, where can people get you if they want to get you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram via CC underscore 22795. Awesome. Awesome. Rodney, what about you, bud? On Instagram, I am Lord underscore Dread, D-R-E-A-D. Nice. 
Um, and again, you can find me on the socials at BMTN1111. But again, the best way to get me is through the podcast at The Wills Pod on Instagram and Twitter or The Wills Podcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Um, and one final uh, thing, we, are, we have ordered patches. Um, we have patches in if you would like to help support the uh, podcast uh, goaded to, to sort of helping us out with some of the costs of running a podcast um, send us a message and uh, and we can uh, get you some of our awesome patches that Elena herself created um, so hit us up on social media for that thanks guys 